Please open your Bibles with me to Paul's letter to the Romans. We'll be in chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. Paul's uh, letter to the Romans, chapter 12, will be in verses 1 through 13. I'll begin reading. Please follow along with me. <clears throat> Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Through the, or through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you to not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allowed it to each a measure of faith. But just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives, with liberality. He who leads, with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Everyone here has gone through a season of some kind where there's had to have been a change in our lives or a transition. Some of us have gotten new jobs. That was a change that we had to adapt. Um, some of us had to have moved to another location. That was a big change that we had to do. And as a church, you and I today are going through a season of change and transition. And change stereotypically is not seen as it's seen as negative, and it has been for thousands of years. But I want to make a point to you, theologically and biblically, to back up my argument, that change can be a good thing. If you and I today are justified by God, you and I are also being sanctified by God. And that's a word about change. That is a word where you and I are constantly being changed to become closer to God. It, if you have been uh, justified by God, you are now a new creation. Behold, the old is past and the new has come. It says in our bulletin um, in the very front. And for us, we are in our sanctification. Our minds are being transformed, as it said in verse 2. And I wanted to pick this passage because I think that it helps us remind ourselves that God is in charge of the change. If he's in charge of the change, he'll be in charge of the outcome. And what do you and I do about that? We stay unified together as a body as a family, to represent Christ as best as we can. And by doing so, I think as we stay unified, to be a living sacrifice for God, we are to not to think too highly of ourselves. That is my main point this morning. If we, you and I are to be a living sacrifice for God, we are to not to think too highly of ourselves. We give God the glory for the grace that has been given to us. Let's remind ourselves of verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. 
when you see, um, some professors like to say this, some students like to say this, there's a hermeneutical phrase where if you see a therefore in a text, you have to see what it is there for. And so starting this passage, when you see a therefore, we have to see what, what it's there for. So in, ver in chapter 12, uh, it has a therefore in chapter 11, excuse me, in verse, specifically verses 30 and 31, you see that Paul is talking about how one point when Israel became the elect nation of God to represent Yahweh for the other nations to come to him. Israel was given mercy so that they can represent him, so that the other nations of the world would want to come. They would want to come so they too can receive mercy. And then when the Messiah came, when Christ came to this earth to put on human flesh, the Israel didn't accept him. Some of Israel didn't. But the Gentiles did. Some of them at least did. And so now, the Gentiles that received Christ, they received mercy. And at the time, it's to make Israel that rejected Christ receive mercy at one point if they come to him, as we represent Christ as a church. All of this is to say is that you and I need mercy from God. And therefore, by the mercies of God, you and I are to be a living sacrifice to him. As we go in our days, as we live individually in our lives, and also as a church coming together. That term sacrifice, it's a, it's a, a word that Paul uses that can be offering. You and I are now an offering to God. And it can seem as an oxymoron, because it is. You can't be living and a sacrifice at the same time. You have to be one or the other, you know. But the point that Paul is trying to say is that now our lives are to die to ourselves. And everything that we now do is worship to him. Every good work that you and I now do is relational worship towards God. That's my next point. Everything that you and I now do Every good work that you and I now do is relational worship toward God. What you and I now say, what you and I now do for the glory of God is an offering. It is now relational worship. And I don't want to communicate that as it's a salvific work. That's, that's untrue whatsoever because we are saved by grace through faith. But now that we have been saved, we have these good works, and these good works our relational worship. And that is what Paul is trying to say. Again, these, these works that we do after we've become saved, they are um, good works for God to come to go to worship Him. Because as you see in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it reads, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not a result of, so that no one, uh, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. These acts, we, we were once an enemy of God, and once we've been saved by God, our works now can become good, because without faith, it is impossible to please God. But by grace, by God, through our faith, we now have good works, and those good works are relational worship to him. Everything you and I now do that's a good work is relational worship. Us reading the scriptures together, us singing his praises, us serving each other in love is relational worship to God to represent him as best as we can. 
and it can't be good works without his grace. Another reason we ought to not to think too highly of ourselves, because we all need grace. We all need God's mercy. We are living sacrifices because of his mercy. I actually want to come back to that term of mercy, because it goes into my second point of why we ought to not think too highly of ourselves. When we give mercy to others, it is an act of worship to God by representing him. When we give mercy to others, it is an act of worship to God as representing him. We give mercy because God gave us mercy. And that should sound a little familiar because that was what the Son of God said on the Sermon on the Mount. As it says in Matthew 5-7, Blessed are the merciful, they will receive mercy. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful, is what the Gospel of Luke says. And there's no denying that when we do give mercy to others, it's because we've been wronged and we've been hurt. And there's pain behind that. There's no, there's no need to hide that, especially if it's from family or, or, or friends. In some cases, it can be the church. In some cases, it can be the world. There's no denying the pain. But what would hurt you and I more is if we didn't represent God by giving that person mercy by giving them grace, because you and I needed mercy at one point. You and I needed grace. We are now living sacrifices to represent our Heavenly Father in who He is and what He does. And He is a Father who gives mercy to everyone. I remember a time where my grandmother, um, some of y'all had met her. She came a couple times to uh, our services during our graduation. Um, she goes to a church in Terrell, and in Terrell, they have a, and like most churches do, they have a little sign in the front where they can have something be said. It can be a verse. It can be a list of the services that they have. Um, and one day, it was either unlocked or broken, and someone messed with it, and messed with it quite badly that it said, Satan is God and pastors of the devil. I would not want to be that person right now. But what if my grandmother's church found that person or found the people that did that and invited them to church the next Sunday and gave them mercy? There's no excusing what they did was wrong. But what if they still invited them to come worship with them, to give them that mercy? I think that's a beautiful, beautiful representation of being a living sacrifice for God, to represent him by giving them mercy. And some of you, in your minds, may have a good idea saying, no, we probably don't need to invite them because they could create more chaos. And you have a fair point. And some of you may have that idea, but also say, well, it's still best to do so anyway because God gave us mercy. And in a sense, that also represents God. You and I needed mercy from God, and it best represents him when we give him mercy is why we ought to, ought to not think too highly of ourselves. Giving mercy to others is a hard thing to do. It is. Again, because there's no denying that pain. But it is necessary so that you and I can be a living sacrifice for God. Because when God had to do the right thing, he had to give his life. We need God's mercy to be a living sacrifice, and we need to give mercy to be a living sacrifice for him.
a big reason why we ought to not to think too highly of ourselves. This gets into my third point of why we ought to not think too highly of ourselves, is that you and I are constantly being changed by God for God's will. We are constantly being changed by God in accordance to His will. This past Christmas, I got to see my cousins, whom I don't get to see but about once or twice a year. They're a lot younger than me. I don't have their phone numbers. I do now, but I didn't until this Christmas. And um, there was a long distance between us uh, because, and it's not in, our, not in my control. It's just that they um, they live in Oklahoma, and I don't. So there's a there's a big distance there. But through that time of when I can see them, that once or twice a year, I try to see them as much, or I get to um, get to know them as much as I can. And in a sense, you and I can do the same thing with God. The more distance you give God, the less you know Him. The more you spend time with God, the more you can know Him. But that begs, that begs a question. How often are you and I spending time with God? Let's go back to verse 2 for a second. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We all know that God's will is good. We're being transformed in our minds to know it. The more our minds are being renewed, the more we spend time with Him, the more we know Him, the more we know His will, the more we know the opportunities we can to serve Him. But again, that begs the question, how often are you and I spending time with God? And this actually also applies in our prayer life. The more we spend time with God, the more our prayers will align with what God would want. The more our prayers will get answered. Maybe not in the answer we want, because we don't want to manipulate God. It could be a no, it could be a yes, but our prayers would still line up to what He would want. The more you and I involve God in our lives, the more noticeable it will be and how involved he's been in yours or in ours together. The more we involve God in our lives together, the more noticeable it will be how involved he will be in ours in the future. Verse 2, when it talks about the renewing of our mind so we can come closer to God, it's actually a parallel of chapter 1 where you have Paul talking about um, unbelievers who have a darkened heart and a debased mind given by God, because they don't want God. This is a parallel to the believer who has been changed by the grace of God, so that they can want to know him more. They, have, they are born again. They now have a new heart, so they, they can want him more. The people that have a darkened heart of the world, they acknowledge God, and that's why they suppress the truth. You and I acknowledge God, but we do want Him because of our renewing mind, because of the Spirit's work in our lives. We do want Him more. In a sense, this change in our lives from God can be and is a good thing. In verses 1 and 2, it talked more about um, being a living sacrifice as individuals. And so these... Um, upcoming passages, you'll now see as we can be a living sacrifice as a body, as a body of the church. So, as a reminder, we've been given mercy, 
And that's why we ought to not think too highly of ourselves, because we need the grace of God. This gets into my next point, that of why we ought to not think too highly of ourselves, because all members of the church matter. Look at verses 3 through 5. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you to not think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allowed it each to a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. All members of the church matter. All members need each other. Because they have different functions. There's a function that you have that I don't. And that's a good thing. Because there's probably a function I have that you don't. And that's a good thing. There's no need to compete. That's the beauty of how we need each other. That's the beauty of how we can come together. To, to stay united. Paul goes more in depth with this in 1 Corinthians 12. How he makes the illustration of how the... Um, the eye does not say to the hand, I have no need of you, or vice versa. Why? Because they have different functions. There's no need to compare. There's no, there's no need. You and I have a function only because by the grace of God. Another reason why we don't need to think too highly of ourselves. You and I need each other. And God designed his church that way. To need each other. Why? Because we all need God. That's the beautiful aspect of it. You need each other. I need you. You need me. We all need God. That's the beautiful aspect of, of, of the church. And this also brings a beautiful aspect of the theology of God's provision. When God sees a need, he's willing to meet that need. When there was a need for all of humanity to have a relationship with God to be restored, he met that need through Christ's resurrection. When there is a need within his church to have a gift or function to be met, he will meet that need in whatever way possible. We may not know it yet, but he does. Another beautiful reason why we can trust him. The next point, um, final point of why we ought to not think too highly of ourselves is not only does, does every member of the church matter, every gift that the member has matters that's been given by God. All gifts that Christ has given to his members matter. Let's look at verses 6 through 13. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind a diligence forever in spirit, serving the Lord, verse 12, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. If everyone here has a gift from God of eternal life, you and I have another gift as well for God to be served, for the world to be served, to represent him. Some of us may not know what that gift is, but we have it. Some of us may know what our gift is, but we just don't use it. 
whatever the case that may be. But the mere fact that you and I have a gift from God is a reason why we need to be humble in humility to not think too highly of ourselves because it is a gift. It is not whatever talent you and I possess. It's from God. It's not from you. It's from God. No matter what talent I have, it is from God. And I need to be humble. I need to be in humility to make sure that I remember that it is from God. Every gift matters. There's no gift that is better. Because again, just like you have a different function and I have a different function, it's the same way with our gifts. You have a gift that I probably don't have. And that's probably because I have a gift that you don't. And we beautifully come together as a church to come as one to use that together to represent God, to serve each other, and to serve God. 1 Corinthians 12, as I mentioned before, that Paul talks about, there are a variety of gifts. As he says in verse 4, chapter 12, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. We have a variety of gifts from God, and it's for the same God. You and I use our gifts together to serve the same spirit that he's given those gifts to us. Every time we use our gift for God, it is worshiping him. Every time that you and I use a gift to serve others, to serve the church, to serve the world, it is worship to God as a representation of him because he served you and I first. Colossians 3 talks about this also, how we we. The good works that you and I now do are for the glory of God. That's why we always give thanks. In verse um, Corinthians 12, as I've mentioned for the third time, where we, we see the list of the gifts, and there are so many. And Paul goes on to talk about what they are and how they should be used. But the very next chapter is that beautiful chapter of love, where if you have, no matter gift of what you have, if you don't have the gift of love, if you don't use the gift of love, what's the point of having that gift at all? And how does he start off that chapter? Love does not envy. It does not want to have a gift that someone else has because God wanted them to have that gift. And it does not boast. It does not say, look at my gift or what I have and you don't. That's not the mindset you and I need to have. And that is how we love others, by by not being boastful, by not being envious, but coming together. Because if you and I have a gift from God, what's the point if we don't have love? And that's why Paul connects that, that passage. So whatever gift you may have, if it is in your, your serving, go and serve. If it is in your exhortation, please go do so. Please use that biblical uh, setting and biblical example, how we can use that in our lives together. Whatever the gift may be, you and I need to use it together for the glory of God. How do you and I not think too highly of ourselves? That is by loving each other in our service and in humility. We love our God through our service and in humility. I mentioned before about time of change, how it can seem negative. But I hope it can be seen as a positive thing. Because if God is in charge of the change, if he's in charge of the justification, if He is in charge of the sanctification, if he's in charge of the glorification that we have not seen yet, he's in charge of every outcome of those changes as well. 
He's in charge of the changes through our lives, personally, out in the world. But he's also in charge of the change that we go through as a church. And that's why you and I can trust him. And how do you and I do so? Let's not think too highly of ourselves. Let's serve each other. Let's serve God together for his glory to represent him as best we can. Let's show him that we can trust him through our service and in our humility to, to serve the world that can be and is an enemy of God because we were once enemies of God as well. Let's serve them by giving them mercy and let's serve each other by sticking together as a body, as a family, to represent God as a church as best as we can. We're going to have a time of invitation. If there needs to be um, something that uh, you and I need to do, something that you and I need to repent of, maybe a gift that we have not been um, using wisely that we do know about, or a gift that we don't know, maybe we need to spend a little more time with God. And that's okay. There's always an invitation to do so because God is open to give an invitation of mercy. Let's pray. God, you're so good. We're so grateful for your love. We're so grateful that you are in charge of change. And as we go through this change as a church, let us change our actions. Let us spend more time with you. Let us pray more. Let us read your word more, not just on Sundays, but every day. Let us lead others by example, not just on Sundays, but by every day, to represent you the best that we can. As we trust you in this time of change in our lives as a church, let us trust the outcome that you have in mind. Let us trust you out of every outcome that you've always given. We're so grateful. For your glory in Jesus' name, amen.